Now, as you are able, would you please remain standing for the reading of the word, which today will be done by Dustin. Today's reading comes from Psalm 103, verses 13 through 18. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. The life of mortals is like grass. They flourish like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it and it is gone, and its place remembers it no more. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him and his righteousness with their children's children, with those who keep his covenant and remember to obey his precepts. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, thank you to the worship team for leading us in such a a beautiful time of worship together. It is a reminder for me as I was worshiping this morning, was thinking about how there are times where I come and, and sing these songs and cry out before God and pour out my heart to him and just confess these things about him and, and to him and say, hey, this is who I'm going to be, this is what I'm going to do. And, and, and sometimes if we're being honest, those are, are just words. Maybe they're there for a moment, but then we walk out these doors and it's like it never happened. When I was in high school, I was on a family vacation and was out on uh, the ocean in a kayak and was kayaking around the ocean. And um, I, I just started having a time of worship, just me and God out in the ocean and started singing praises to him. And I was closing my eyes, I was singing this song that was kind of popular at the time. It was called, Use Me Here. And, um, and, and it basically just you know, says, use me here where I am. I'm not gonna pray anymore that you'll change your plans. Despite my fears, like I'm, I'm putting my life in your hands. So just use me here. And so I'm singing this song, and I'm just kind of closing my eyes and uh, just enjoying the sounds of the ocean. I'm singing this song, God, use me here, use me here, use me here. And, and I open my eyes, and, and, and there is, is a man on a kayak next to me, uh, just rowing next to me, kind of looking at me and smiling. And I thought, not today. And I uh, paddled <laughs> away. <laughs> I wish that I turned around and went back or did something else, but that is a, a, a true moment that happened for me. And, and I think if we're honest, this, this happens sometimes. We sing these praises to God. We sing, God, uh, you are my everything. I stand on your power and your strength. And we leave here and we try again to stand on the, the power of ourselves, on our own strength. We sing about our love for God and, 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 and how we're going to pursue him. And, and we leave here and we're like, ah, I just don't have time though today. And, and sometimes, you know, it's not just about it worship through song. It's also like when we open the word and we hear this together and, and we think, yes, like that is what I'm supposed to be. That is who, who I'm supposed to be. That's what I'm supposed to do. Like God's word has made it clear how I'm supposed to live. And, and you know, you think about the series we're in, right? Like we're talking about real relationships and loving others. And, and it's so easy to be like, yes, I'm called to love others. And then you get home and, and your neighbor is doing that annoying thing again. And you're thinking, next week. Next week, I will definitely do it, right? Like, it's just not happening today. But I, I hope and I pray that we are a church that, that gets this right, that actually hears the word of God, proclaims the word of God in our lives and to one another, and that we actually move forward together with, with transformed hearts, trusting God to lead us and guide us, and we actually live the way God has called us to live, that we don't just hear it, but we are actually doers of the word as well. And, and you know, as we talk about our, our relationship series, the way we are going to get this right is by pursuing God and trusting in his 
strength and making sure that we keep the main thing, the main thing, which is that we keep our eyes focused on God and we keep pursuing him and resting in his love, resting in his grace, resting in his presence over and over and over again. And so we are talking about relationships and we're talking about what we're supposed to do, how we're supposed to live as followers of Christ in our relationships with one another. And in Matthew chapter 7, verse 12, Jesus gives us what is known as the golden rule, where he says, do unto others as you would have them do to you. He says, this sums up the law and the prophets. He says, everything you do, this is how you should live in relationship with others. Don't just treat them neutrally. Don't just not be mean to them, but actually do good for them. Now, as Christians, we can actually take this and and we can... Uh, we can transform the wording just a little bit. We can change the wording just a little bit to to understand that we are supposed to do good for others in in the way Jesus has done good for us. So it's not simply about how I want you to treat me or how I want someone else to do good for me. It's about understanding what Jesus has already done for me and, and living towards others the way Jesus has lived towards me and the way he has lived towards others. It's demonstrating the love that we have received. It's giving that love out because we have already received it. It has been poured out to us. It has been done for us. And so we need to do that for others. Now, we have relationships in life that are a little bit messy, that are challenging. And so we kind of are trying to talk about some of the places where we might get this wrong. And so we talked in in the second week about how we do this amongst genders, male and female. And we talked about really, you know, you can celebrate the differences, but we focus on the Imago Dei, the image of God, and and that which unifies us. and, And we respect and love each person because they are made in the image of God. And we talked last week about how we do this across generations. That from the younger generation to the older, we demonstrate honor and respect. We give gratitude to the older generation for what they have done and for what they have built and for how they have equipped us. And then as the older generation, we prepare and equip the younger generation. We demonstrate love and we say, I don't want faith to end with me. I don't want our church to end in my time. I want to thrive. I want to grow well past my time. You know, on Thursday and Friday, I actually got to go to a, a conference and, uh, called Thrive Conference. And uh, just an incredible time of just being filled up and getting to worship. But, but also there was this moment where they brought out these five church planters who are planting churches all around the world. And so three of them were in Europe and one is actually here in California and one is planting a church in Canada. And they were sharing about why they wanted to plant their churches in the places they planted. And two of them really caught my attention. One was in Germany and one was in Ireland. And the one that was planting in Germany said that the church, the Christian church in Germany, like the biggest Christian church in Germany has about 500 people in it. That's, that's the biggest Christian church in Germany. And the, the Irish church is, is struggling even worse. It says, you know, they're like 0.03% of the population is, is Christians. And they said that there are more Christians at some churches in America than in the entire country of Ireland. And it was shocking to me because I happen to right now be just reading a book on church history and spending some time studying the, the Reformation and some things that happened back in, you know, 1500s, 1600s. And, and, and as I'm studying, I'm looking and saying, Europe was, was the center of the Christian faith for a long time. I mean, it was the place where the Christian faith was thriving, where theology was being discussed and formed and shaped and, and, and understanding of the word was, was happening. And, and these churches in Germany and Ireland were doing some incredible things. And it's like, how did we get to this point? 
And it just left me, honestly, a little bit fearful and also motivated to say, let that not be the church in Carmichael. Let that not be the church in California, the church in the United States. Like, let's make sure that we have a future-focused mentality, that we are equipping the next generation, that we are constantly proclaiming the gospel to all those around us, and we are pointing people towards the main thing, which is the love of Christ. Not towards us, not towards man-made traditions or man-made habits, not towards our desires and our opinions, but we are pointing people to Jesus over and over and over again. And this is where we need to be today, where we're going to pause sort of on dealing with our horizontal relationships and deal with our vertical relationship. How do we relate to God? How does God relate to us? Because I said this in week one, I'll say it again. The way that we view and understand God's relationship towards us, God's relationship with us, will determine how we relate to one another. Because if we really understand, I mean, if we really get this right, like we understand God's love and what he did for us, it's going to radically transform the way we live in relationship with one another as brothers and sisters in Christ and the way we live in relationship with those who don't know Christ as well. So let's dive in. And the first thing that I want to say is that we do not deserve to be in relationship with God. In understanding our relationship with God, we first have to start from this place of understanding we do not deserve any of it. We can't earn it. We're not good enough for it. We're not some amazing, wonderful person where it's like, yeah, God is lucky to be in relationship with me. No, we, we are nothing. As a matter of fact, Psalm 103 says this. We're going to go to verse 14. We'll come back to verse 13 in just a minute. It says, for he, he being God, he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. The life of mortals is like grass. They flourish like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it and it is gone and its place remembers it no more. That's who we are. We are the dust of the earth. We are here today and gone tomorrow. Our time is short. Our impact is limited. I know, very encouraging this Sunday morning. <laughs> but this is where we need to start. We need to get correct perspective of our relationship with God. We need to view him in glory and wonder and awe. And we need to look at ourselves and just say, yeah, we are the dust of the earth. We are the creation of the creator. Now, in church, for those who have been around church, like, yeah, we're the creation. That's right. We have value because we're the creation. And that's true. But that's only true because we know that God values his creation. He doesn't have to. My kids do a lot of uh, coloring, painting projects. Um, some are good, some are less good. Um, and, 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 and you know what the thing is, is we get a lot of these papers piled up. But, but here's the thing, I always try and check with them to see basically, hey, how important is this artwork to you, right? Like, like, is it significant? Sometimes I try and hide it and see if they ask me about it. Um, and then it's like, okay, that's important to you. So I'll give it back to you. Um, if they don't, then, you know, it's easy. And, and now I'm like, hey, do you want to keep this and find a place to put this in your room? In other words, you have to clean something up or do you just want to throw it away? And they're like, mm, I'll just throw it away. Right. And it's like, okay, great. That's fine. The value is in the creator. They have every right to take that painting, take that picture, and just to throw it away because they created it. They can dispose of it, get rid of it, say it's good, say it's bad, whatever they want. It's in the eyes of the creator. But, but we have to understand that as creation, we don't deserve anything. God can treat us however he wants. He can look at us however he wants. That is his right because he is the creator. He is the one who has value. He is the one who has worth. We are simply dust. We are the creation. 
And our worth only comes if he says we have worth, which, by the way, he does, but we'll get there. But here's the thing. As God's creation, we actually get even worse because we actually have pushed God away. Isaiah 59, verse 2 says this. It says, but your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. See, our natural state is one of sin. We are completely and totally covered by sin. Every piece of our life is affected by sin. And so when left on our own, we are going to rebel against God. We're going to push him away. We're going to deny his power. And we're going to say, look at me. I'm this incredible creation. And so I'm going to be my own God. I'm going to glorify myself. I'm going to do the things that I want to do. And we all have sinned. And the Bible tells us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And it says that the wages of sin is death. That the cost of sin, the payment that we owe is death. This is who we are. We are dust of the ground that tries to make ourselves glorious, pushing God away, pursuing our own plan. And we are headed down a path that leads to death and destruction. And the Bible tells us that the wage of sin is death. It says, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. See, God has a different plan for us. So we understand that while we don't deserve a relationship with God, he freely offers us one anyways. As a matter of fact, we need to understand that we are loved and saved by God. That's how he views us. We are loved by God. Yes, we are creation, but we are creation that has value because God loves his creation. He welcomes us into relationship. And he saves us from our sins through the blood of his son, through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. We are saved from our sins, from death into life, from brokenness to wholeness, from mourning and sorrow to rejoicing. We are loved and saved by God. And he doesn't just simply save us from death to life, which should be good enough. But he welcomes us into relationship with him. Now, now for some in the, in the room, it might be your first time in church. Like, well, why do I care about a relationship with God? Like, I just want life and, and, and life eternally. All good things come from God. God is goodness, God is love, so every good thing that we have, every good thing that we experience is a gift from God and his presence. And so you can't have goodness, you can't have love, you can't have life apart from a relationship with God. And so he's welcoming us into relationship. And again, it's not simply that he welcomes us into a relationship where, where he says, ah, I'm going to be neutral towards you, I'm just going to ignore you. No, he loves us deeply. As a matter of fact, in 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, it says this. It says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. And so the Bible says that when we put our trust in Jesus Christ, when we receive the gift of his goodness, his grace, that we are adopted into the family of God. And so if you have put your trust in Jesus Christ, if you have accepted that gift, 
If you believe that he was the son of God, that he is the son of God, that he died and rose again, and you have trusted him as Lord, then the Bible says that you are saved from your sins and you are adopted into his family. In other words, we are the sons and daughters. We are sons and daughters of the most high king. That is your identity in Christ. You're not just a stranger. You're not just someone that he tolerates. You are a son or a daughter of the most high king. My dad's name is, is Kevin, and I love my dad. Um, his birthday's in five days, so happy birthday, dad. Um, of course, I'm not going to tell him that I talked about him in church, so he's never going to see that. So, um, <laughs> But I love my dad. I think my dad is one of the, the greatest people on the earth. I mean, he, he is someone who, who loves his family. He showed me what it means to be a man, what it means to be a husband and a father. Um, he showed me what it means to be a follower of Christ. He is someone who lives out the, the vision that we talk about here at, at Christ Community, that we are all pastors to our areas of influence. Although that was never his job title, that's what he did. He pastored his family. He pastored friends. He has pastored, um, you know, as a volunteer in, in college group and different things at the church over the years. Um, he, he is someone who just works incredibly hard to provide for his family. He stays up late. He, he wakes up early. Like, that's just what he does. And, and yet, in all of that, he also shows up. He is always present. I mean, he coached me and my four siblings in soccer multiple years. He coached each and every one of us at some point. Um, he, he shows up to, you know, birthday parties and big events. Like, he, he is there. He is present. He works hard. He loves us. He provides. He protects. That's who he is. Like, I, I am honored to be the son of Kevin Balby. Like, that is a part of my identity. And, and, and I love that about myself. Like, I love that, that I get to say, yeah, that's my dad. Like, yeah, I'm his son. Like when people say like, hey, you, you look like your dad or you sound like your dad or you're funny like your dad. I mean, you know, I hope I'm funnier, but you know, whatever. Um, like, like I, I love that, that that is being spoken over me. Like I love that that's my identity. And, and I hope that my kids feel the same way about me. Like I hope they look and they're like, yeah, that's, like, that's my dad. I, I'm, I'm his son. I'm, I'm his daughter. And I rejoice in that, and yet I also know that being a son of God is significantly better. I mean, it just, as great as my dad is, he doesn't, he doesn't compare to our Heavenly Father. And, and I say all this knowing that some in the room have a, a harder time with this than others. Some have a harder time looking at God and identifying Him as Father because there are too many earthly fathers who fail. And so there are many in this room who, who, who maybe have never had a relationship with their, their biological father, who have seen their father abandon them, who maybe have even been hurt by their father. And, and if that's you in this room, I, I just want to say, like, I'm so sorry that that has happened. It crushes me that that is the experience of some. And it crushes God as well. But I want you to understand that, that we have a heavenly father who will never let you down. Who will never forsake you. Who will never leave you. Who is always present, who loves you perfectly. Beyond what we can possibly understand. 
And the reality is that even the very best example we have here on this earth, it just is a glimpse of how good our Heavenly Father is. And for some, you might be struggling with that idea of God as Father, but but Galatians tells us that the Spirit can lead us to call God Abba, Father. And that word Abba is like Daddy. And so the Spirit can do a miracle in our lives, whether we've had a good example or, or no example or an awful example, the Spirit can lead us to a place where we understand, we recognize the one true Father that is God. And so we are sons and daughters of the Most High King. That is our identity but it also tells us how God loves us. Look back at Psalm 103. Verse 13 says, As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. Now, compassion is, is simply seeing a need and doing something about it. Right? Compassion is not just seeing a need and being like, oh, bummer. But it's seeing a need and actually doing something about it. And so the Bible is telling us this is how God lives as a father. He has compassion on his children, which means he he sees our needs, he knows our needs, and he does something about our needs. So I want you to hear this, that God knows you and he loves you enough to do good for you. Now that idea that God knows us needs to penetrate our souls. Because God knows every hair on your head. He knows every thought you've ever had. He knows every sin. He knows everything that happens in the dark and lonely places. He knows every joy, every triumph, every struggle, every brokenness. He knows it all. And in the midst of that, his position towards us is one of love. Like many of us, we we fear people knowing who we really are. Because if you know me, are you really going to love me? But God knows you more intimately than anyone ever will, and he loves you more than anyone ever will, more than anyone else ever can. And he loves you enough to do good for you, and he demonstrates that ultimately through the cross. See, God knows that our greatest need is to overcome our sin problem, that we have a sin problem that has to be dealt with, and we can't deal with it on our own. And so the Bible tells us that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God said, I'll take care of the sin problem. Jesus said, I'll step down from eternity. I'll come and live the perfect life that they can't live on their own. And I'll take their punishment, I'll take their sin, I'll put it on my shoulders, I'll hang it on the cross, I'll bury it in the grave, my blood will wash it away, and I will offer them my righteousness in my life so that they can be in relationship with us. That's what God offers to us. He knows you and he loves you enough to do good for you. Look at what else it says down in verse 17. It says, but from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him. Now, pause right there. It says everlasting to everlasting. This comes right after Psalm 103 talks about how we are dust and how we're like grass that, that raises up and, and then fades away. And it's saying, but God isn't like that. God is unlike any other person you've ever met. His love is unlike anything that you will ever experience. His love is an everlasting love. He is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. No one else has that consistency. No one else can guarantee that they won't let us down. No one else can we experience their love from start to finish. 
but with God we can. And it goes on, it says, in his righteousness, be with their children's children. So God's love is right, it is just, it is good. And he loves and cares about the things that we love and care about. I love this passage, and next week we'll actually be talking a little bit more about how we live in relationship with, with family. But I love this because what this is saying is that God cares more about my children than I do. Like God's going to be present with them and present with those we love in a way that, that we can't even begin to understand. As a matter of fact, God has blessed those around you. He has blessed those that, that, that you love and that you care about through you. Because for my children, they know the word of God. They know God's love for them. And they know that because God has used me and has put me in their life to be a light to them and allowed me to proclaim the gospel to them. Now, God is the one who's going to do the work in the hearts. But we can be a blessing to those around us because God allows us to share the good news with each and every person we come in contact with. And it goes on and says this. It says, with those who keep his covenant and remember to obey his precepts. Now, there's a reminder here and there's a call. The reminder is it says those who keep his covenant. The reminder is that we can't do that on our own. As a matter of fact, in Genesis, God made a covenant of works with Adam and basically said, hey, if you don't eat from this one tree, just don't eat from that one tree, then you will have life. And we flip over to page two and he's like, oh, my bad. And the covenant was broken. And so God created a new covenant, a covenant of grace that is not about what we do, but it's about what's been done for us. See, God knew that we would fail every single time if it were up to us. But instead, he gives us his son and Jesus says, I will fulfill the covenant. I will live the perfect life so that I can be the perfect sacrifice. So that my blood can actually wash away their sins. So that they can step into life, life to the full, life eternally, life in relationship with God. And so the covenant is fulfilled by God and through God, and we just have to receive the gift. We receive God's grace through faith alone, faith in Jesus Christ. And when we put our trust in him, the Bible says that we are saved, and we have new life, a new identity, and a new eternity to look forward to. And then there's this call, right after it says, those who keep his covenant, it says, and those who obey his precepts. Well, we just said that we're going to fail, and that is true. We're always going to fall short of perfect obedience. But it doesn't mean that God's not doing a work of sanctification. In other words, a work of making us more and more like him. And so we live out of obedience, not because we're trying to earn grace, not because we're trying to earn salvation. We can't do that. But we do it because we have been given grace, because we've been given salvation. And so out of our love for God, we say, hey, I want to live the way you've called me to live. Out of our understanding of his wisdom, his knowledge, and his power, we say, God, your plan is better than mine, so why would I try and live my way? I want to live your way. And I want to love people the way you've called me to love people so that they can come and meet you as well. And there's a lot of places we could go in Scripture to talk about, like, okay, well, what does that actually look like? How do we actually live the way God wants us to live? But, but I'll summarize it with four words that, that I think Jesus gave to us in Matthew 22. It's love God and love others. Love God, love others. 
That's what we are called to do. That's how we are called to obey. By loving God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And loving our neighbor as ourselves. Now, we have been spending time talking about how we love others. But I want to pause for a moment and just do a heart check. And I want to ask each and every one of us to evaluate our love for God. Because hopefully you know God's love. Hopefully you've received that. Hopefully you understand what he has done for you. And so then the question becomes, how much do you love God? Do you really love God? Do you love God with every part of your your flesh, your soul, every part of who you are? Do you pursue him with everything you have? Is he the number one in your life? Because God doesn't take second place. God doesn't fit in to our lives. God is what our lives are about. And so I ask you today to to ask yourself, do you really love God? Do you long for him? Do you desire him? Do you want more time with him? Do you long for times in the word? Not just to gain knowledge of God, but because this is him speaking to our hearts, to our souls. Do you long for times of prayer? Because you can be present before the throne and be present with him. Do you individually take times of worship each and every day where you can just be present with God and allow him to speak to your heart? Do you love God? You know, God is always with us, but there's a difference between being with someone and spending time with someone. You understand that? Like me and my wife, we can be in the same house for hours of the day together and not spend any time together. I mean, the last couple of weeks have been a little bit crazy and we've had lots of things going on and we come home and we're, you know, one of us is doing work or we're getting the kids ready or we're, you know, doing dinner dishes or whatever else is going on. And, and, and just the other night we're like, man, like we just need to like go on a walk and just take some time away from everything. And the kids were like, can we come? And we're like, uh, nope, sorry. Like this is just for us. Like we need to actually spend time together because even though we've been in the same room, even though we've been in the same building, like we need to spend time together. And so we need to, to get everything away so that we can just talk and, and be present and catch up on life and, and see how we're doing. And this is true in our relationship with God as well. That yes, God is always with us, but many of us, we just have him following along side by side. Like when we need him, we're like, okay, now you come in. Like I'm tapping you in, right? It's like, no, spend time with God. Do you long for God? Do you desire him? Some friends of mine, um, they're part of this group called Thrive Worship and they, uh, they wrote a song called I'm So Glad I Met Jesus. And it's pretty simple. I mean, just over and over and over again, basically just that, I'm so glad I met Jesus. I'm so glad I met Jesus. And, and I've been starting my, my morning off pretty much every day for the last like two months with that song. Because it's a reminder to my heart of how good God is and the posture that I should take before him, the love that I should have for him. And it leads me to ask the question each and every day, is that really how I feel? Am I really crying out, God, I'm so glad I met you? Not just singing a song in a moment and forgetting it the next, but is this really what my life demonstrates? That I'm so glad I met Jesus and I'm so glad I get to spend time with him today. I get to be in his presence. Is this the cry of your heart? 
Do you wake up every day saying, I'm so glad I met Jesus. I'm so glad he introduced himself to me. I'm so glad he welcomes me in his presence today. I can't wait to spend time with him. I can't wait to, you know, put some things uh, to the side so that I can just be present with my heavenly father. Are you crying out, Abba, Father, Daddy, Father, I want to be with you. I want to be in your presence. Thank you for your love. God, I love you so much. Can't wait to be with you. Let my life honor you and glorify you and reflect you. Let me love and care about the things you love and care about. Because if we fill ourselves up with the love of God and we really love him and pursue him with everything that we have, that's a witness. That light is going to shine brightly. That light is going to shine brightly in every relationship that we have. And others will see the love we have, and they too will come to that place where they will put their trust in Christ. And they too can say, I'm so glad I met Jesus. Let's not just be the church that sings about it. Let's be the church that does it. Today we have an opportunity to come and receive from the Lord's table together, to receive the Lord's Supper, to receive communion. And what a perfect way to end a conversation about our relationship with God. Because I think there's no better example of of what God did and reminder for our souls than to gather before the table together and to receive the elements that Jesus himself took and gave. And he says that on the night he was betrayed, he took the bread and upon giving thanks, he said, this is my body for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And at the end of the meal, he took the cup and pouring it out, he said, this is my blood of the new covenant, the new promise that is made between me and you, that my blood will pay the price of your sins so that you can have life. And so scripture tells us that when we eat the bread and when we drink the cup, that we are proclaiming the Lord's death until the day he returns. We are proclaiming his goodness to our souls, to one another, and to the watching world. And so as we come to the table together, as we come to receive the elements, let's rejoice in his love being poured out to us and ask ourselves, do we love God? Maybe today is a moment to have a heart check of saying, God, I've been loving a whole bunch of other things. I've been excited about a whole bunch of other things. I've been passionate about a whole bunch of other things. But God, today and every day from here on out, I'm just going to cry out. I'm so glad I met Jesus. I'm just glad I get to be a son or a daughter of yours. And I want to live out of that identity. And as we come, we are filled up, not physically by the bread and the cup, but spiritually by Christ. Together receiving what God has in store for us. Being filled up so that we can go out and be his hands and feet in the world. So a reminder that this is for those who who have professed faith in Jesus Christ. And if you're sitting there and you're like, hey, I want to do that, you can do that now. Just say a prayer to God. God, thank you for your love. God, I admit that I am a sinner in need of grace. And I believe that Jesus came and he died and he rose again so that I could have life through him. And I'm putting my trust in your hands. And then you can come forward as well and receive the elements. And so the way this is going to work just practically also, if you would just uh, get up and go out the left of your row, and then you'll enter back in on the right-hand side of your aisles. Um, That just helps the flow of traffic so that we can get everyone through and just continue to be in worship together. So let me pray, and then we'll come forward and receive the elements together. 
Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus. That you know us in our sin, in our brokenness, and you don't approve of that. But you accept us where we're at, and you lead us to something more. God, that you know us and you love us enough to do good for us. And you demonstrate, demonstrate that through the gift of your son. Through his work on the cross. So we thank you for the life that you have offered to us. God, we love you and we're putting you first. Forgive us for the times where something else takes that spot. Forgive us for the times where we just pursue you like a chore or pursue knowledge of you without actually pursuing the relationship. God, help us to constantly remember your love for us, your love for others and to demonstrate that love towards you and towards others as well. God, thank you for this time where we can come and receive communion together. Would you fill our spirits up with you, encourage us, strengthen us, prepare us for what you have in store for us this week. God, we love you and praise things in your son's name. Amen.